you got your Bibles, I hope you do, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at a season of sin and repentance and forgiveness in the life of David. I hope that you have learned um, as much as I have learned. Um, I have just been blessed through our study and um, through preparing to preach these passages. God has just taught me more than I've ever known from these passages. Some of them have been somewhat familiar to me. I've read them and studied them and in the past, and yet God is just continuing to teach me new and new and beautiful truths, and I hope He's doing that for you. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we saw the dark side of sin as David made one sinful choice after another sinful choice after another after another. This just snowball of sin in David's life. And then in the first half of 2 Samuel chapter chapter 12, we saw the rebuking mercy of God where God confronted David in his sin through the prophet Nathan. And that rebuke of David led to the proper response in David's life. And we read and studied about that in Psalm chapter 51. We've spent a few weeks in Psalm chapter 51 unpacking that sinner's cry of repentance. And there we saw uh, confession and forgiveness and restoration in Psalm chapter 51. Now today, I want us to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and finish out this chapter by learning about the future hope of grace. When God forgives us and restores us, He graciously gives us a hope-filled future. When God forgives us and restores us, after we have confessed and, and repented of that sin, He graciously gives us a hope-filled future. If you'll recall, at the end of Psalm chapter 51, which is where we were at last week, there's this expectation on David's part, that God is going to fully restore him. You remember that? that? He's ready now to be used by God. There's this expectation that God is going to give this full and complete restoration. The question then is, did God do that? Did he, David is, expect, is expecting it. Did God do that? The second half, half of Second Samuel chapter 12 is going to show us that David's future, while difficult, it is, and there, the Scripture doesn't shy away from that, his future is difficult because of the consequences of his sin, but even in the midst of that, his future was not absent of hope. His future was not absent of hope. In fact, because of God's forgiving love towards David, David's future is full of hope. And of course, this hope is only a result of God's grace. Today, I want you to know that even though there may be sin in your past, and it's safe to say there is sin in all of our pasts, your future can be full of hope because of God's continued grace in your life. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's read this passage and then we'll dive into it. And the Lord, beginning in verse 15, then Nathan, we'll start at the beginning of verse 15, then Nathan went to his house and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, 
Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me and that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went into lay with her, and she bore a son, and called, he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out of the spoil of the city a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with, with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. And thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would bless this reading of your word, and then we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Father, work your word into us. Father, change us from the inside out. Father, if we need to be convicted, help us to be convicted. But help us not to stay in that, in that place of conviction. But Father, help us to repent. Uh, help us to turn to you. Help us to receive forgiveness and grace that you uh, so graciously give to us. Father, just work in our hearts as you see fit during these few moments we have today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Notice with me three truths about God's continued grace in our lives after sin. And, and let these truths fill you with hope for your future. The first truth is this. Earthly consequences of sin do not negate future life with God. Earthly consequences of sin do not negate future life with God. We see this in this first section of this second half of chapter 12, verses 15 through 22. Excuse me, 23. Back in the first half of chapter 12, we saw God, through Nathan, reveal several consequences of David's sin. And because of David's sin, uh, David's future would contain family uh, violence. It would contain family enemies, family humiliation, and family death, specifically the death of of his child that was a result of his adultery with Bathsheba. Of course, we also see David repenting of his sin and God forgiving him there uh, in chapter 12 in the first half. However, verse, verse 14 says, Nevertheless, that means even though you repented and I've forgiven you, nevertheless, because of this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Listen, God's forgiveness was real. But the consequences of David's sin still remained a reality as well. And we don't just want to read over that. In verse 15, we see God sticking with the consequence. He said, 
uh, would come into David's life as a result of his sin. Bathsheba gave birth to a son, and it says there in verse 15 that the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And then in verse 18, we see that the child died. Now, I gave you this truth. I gave it to you in a, in a, from a positive perspective, and we're going we're gonna to get back to that positive perspective in just a minute, but it's just as true to state this truth the opposite way. We could state it this way, future life with God, or we could say it this way, forgiveness from God does not negate earthly consequences. God can forgive us, but that doesn't mean that all the earthly consequences of our sin just vanish into thin air. You may still have to live with the hurt your harsh words have caused. You may still have to work through the brokenness stemming from the divorce. You may still have to serve the prison sentence for the crime. You may still have to endure the health problems caused by years of drunkenness or substance abuse. You may still have to battle the strong urge to give in to the cravings created by years of addiction. Just because God forgives you doesn't mean there are no earthly consequences of our sin. It's just a reality. It's not that God's forgiveness is lacking. It's just that His forgiveness is not such that it just alleviates all earthly consequences. What his forgiveness does do is it restores us, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but it also provides us with a healing for all of eternity. Where we know that there will be trials even because of our sin right now, but one day there is a day coming where those trials and those difficulties and those consequences, earthly consequences, keyword earthly, earthly consequences for our sin will be no more as we live with him forever. But I, I want us to focus on the flip side of this coin. So let me say what I said um, the positive way again. Earthly consequences of sin do not negate future life with God. We can, we can, we can fall in this trap of thinking just because I'm, because I'm experiencing earthly consequences and brokenness from the sin in my life, that that means there's no, there's no hope of, of living with God each and every day. Even though David was experiencing the reality of his consequences of his sin, he still experienced life with God, both in the present and after his death. Notice three ways under this first truth that we see David experience life with God after his sin and repentance. First, we see this, that David's continued life with God is seen in the fact that he was still able to communicate with God. Even though he had sinned and was feeling the consequences of his sin, he still had a line of communication open with God. Look at, look at that, that passage there, verses 15 through 23. I mean, one of the main things that's happening there is prayer. During the week between the child's birth and death, David fasted and prayed. He poured out before God his request that the child would be healed. And David knew that he had sinned. He knew what God had said would happen to his child. But he still wanted to go before God and plead with him. Perhaps God would change his mind. God, if there be any way that the child could be spared, his desire, of course, would be for God to act in that way. It's amazing to note how David still has this access to God in spite of his sin. I mean, God, God shouldn't listen to David. He, he shouldn't. David has sinned against God. He has no right to go before God in prayer. But God doesn't rebuke David for spending a week in prayer. And just because David's prayer wasn't answered doesn't mean God was not listening. It just means that it wasn't God's will. There's no indication here from God that he wasn't listening to David. And there's no indication from David that he didn't think God was listening to him. 
There was an open line of communication between him and God. And David did not deserve that. God's forgiveness towards David was so great that David experienced life with God after his sin as evidence through his prayer life. David had not been rejected by God. He had been forgiven and he had been restored. But another way we see David's continued life with God because of God's continued grace in his life is through his acceptance of God's will. His acceptance of God's will. The servants here, I mean, they're afraid to tell David that the child has died. They're thinking, if David was this distraught before the child died, I mean, what in the world is he going to do when he finds out that the child is dead? It's kind of, you can almost picture them standing around going, you going to tell him? I'm not going to tell him. You going to tell him? No, I'm not going to tell him. I'm, he, he's the new guy. Make, make him tell him. No, 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 I don't know David enough. I, you know him longer. You, you tell him. They kind of stand around, what, who, what are we going to do? But David, David knew what was going on. He saw through their whispers and he knew what had happened. The child had died. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. Instead of becoming more distraught, David got up from the ground where he had been laying. He took a bath. He anointed himself. He put on clean clothes. He went to the house of the Lord. He worshipped the God who had just taken the life of his child. And then he went home and he ate food. Which is a sign that he wasn't in mourning anymore. What in the world just happened? What did that response mean? It meant that David had accepted God's will. There was a healthy relationship now between him and God. He was accepting God's will. He was trusting the Lord. He was walking by faith underneath the lordship of the God who he had sinned against, but who had forgiven him. Despite David's earthly consequences, he was experiencing an ongoing, healthy, when you're accepting God's will for your life, even when it's hard, a sign of a healthy relationship with the Lord. A sign of ongoing life with God. His life with God continued because he had been forgiven and he had been restored. But there's a third way that we see his life continuing with God even after his sin and in the midst of those earthly consequences. And we see that in his hope that he would have life after death. That he would have life after death. I mean, David's reaction just confused his servant. They could, they're like, what is going on? He's laying on the ground, crying out to the Lord, won't eat anything for a week. And then we say, deliver this bad news. Your child has died. And he gets up and cleans himself off. He, he asks for food. He gets a bath. He puts on clean clothes. He even goes to the house of the Lord and worships God. Notice this interaction that then takes place, starting in verse 21. You can follow along. Then his servant said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. They're so confused. Verse 22, he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. It's incredible. How in the world could David have this response? His actions here stemmed from an incredible belief in God's continued love and promises toward him. I mean, David says that he can't bring his child back to him, but he will one day go to his child. It's not extremely clear what David meant by this. There's some that say David simply meant that one day he would join his child in the grave. 
I don't think, I don't think that's right. I think David is saying more than that here. That doesn't seem, if that was what David meant, that, well, one day I'll be laying in the grave next to my child. That doesn't seem to warrant a peaceful and almost, almost joyful response on David's part. I mean, that would seem like it would just lead to more mourning and crying and fasting and weeping. David clearly believed in a wonderful afterlife in the presence of God as seen in some of his other writings. Just let me give you a few. Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. David wrote this. Surely goodness and mercy, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a belief on David's part that he would live with God forever. Let me give you another one. Psalm chapter 17, verse 15. David wrote this. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. It's a look to life after death. And let me give you one more. In Psalm chapter 16, David wrote this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is a word that means grave. Or let your holy ones see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Clearly, in Scripture, David believed that there was life after death. That that life after death was for him. And here we see David saying, I will go to my child, even though he will not return to me. So while David doesn't say it explicitly here in Psalm chapter 12, I think we can be safe to infer from David's comment here and his writings in other places that he believed he would one day join his child in life after death. Folks, that's good news. By no means did David deserve life after death. But God's grace abounds all the more where sin also abounds. Despite the reality of the consequences of his sin, David was still able to experience God's promise of life. David was able to live with hope, walking in close fellowship with God, praying and worshiping God, and looking forward to continued life with God after death. And listen, we can live with that same hope today. Even if today you are experiencing the consequences of past sin, you don't have to forgo the joy of life with God. David experienced life even as he dealt with the destruction his sin caused. And so can you. And I can as well. We can still enjoy close fellowship with God in prayer in worship of God through acceptance of His will and through this incredible hope of God's promise of everlasting life. So first, earthly consequences of sin do not negate future life with God. The second statement of hope for the future of sinners is this, that by God's grace, real hurts caused by sin do not negate future blessings from God. Real hurts caused by sin do not negate future blessings from from God. And we see this in verses 24 and 25. Have you ever committed a sin or a series of sins and then thought, well, there goes any chance of God ever blessing me again. No way God would ever bless me with anything good after what I've done. 
Ever had that thought cross your mind? If we're, if we're honest about the seriousness of our sin and how serious of an offense it is before God, probably we've had that thought before. God's just going to hate me forever. I wonder if that thought crossed David's mind. I mean, certainly knew he had sinned. Certainly he knew what he deserved. Certainly he knew the grace of God's forgiveness. But I wonder if David thought, I know God's forgiven me. Like, I know he's not going to hold this sin against me in eternity. I know I have the hope of life with him after death. But what about right now? I mean, I know God's forgiven me in the future when I stand before him one day. But there goes the there goes any hope of God blessing me anymore in this life. Like my life will probably just be one series of bad events after other bad events after another bad events. I wonder if David thought that. I wonder, I wonder if he thought, I know that God promised to bless the kingdom with a time of peace under the rule of my son. I know he promised to provide me with an heir who would be a forever king on a forever throne. I know he promised not to ever remove his steadfast love from this coming son of mine. But I'm sure as my child now lies in the grave. All of those promises of blessings have now flown out the window. As soon as I rolled it down to summon Bathsheba to my bedchambers. Now all I'm left with is the hurt that my sin has caused. My wife is hurting. I'm hurting. My sin has negated God's promise of future blessings. If David remembered, which I'm sure he did, the promises that God had made, he was right in recalling them. It was good for him to remember those promises that God had made. Because those are actual promises that God made to him. But if he thought that the promises of God had been replaced with the hurts of sin, he was wrong. The hurts of his sin were there, but they had not replaced the promises of God in his life. God's promises had not gone anywhere And he was ready to bless David even in the midst of the hurt caused by his sin. After the child dies, verse 24, you can see this in your text. Verse 24 tells us David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Why does she need comforting? Well, she was experienced the pain of losing a child. She was experienced the hurt caused by David's sin. But then I want you to notice what happens next. It says that David went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and he called his name Solomon. God blesses David and Bathsheba with another son. But this isn't just any son. Don't read too quickly over this. This is Solomon. Could this mean that God is keeping those promises he made to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Well, keep reading. It says, and the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now this, this ought to flood the repentant sinner's heart with hope. With hope. Why? Why so? God specifically said in the promise he made to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is known as the Davidic Covenant. I encourage you to read it. We'll look at a couple of places in it, but I encourage you to read 2 Samuel chapter 7. God specifically promised there this. He said, my steadfast love will not depart from him, talking about David's son, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. God's love for this son of David would be the foundation of his promises being kept. 
Now fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has a son, and Scripture says the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. Well, what was the message? We've got to connect the promises before he sinned to the keeping of those promises after David sinned. What was this message from Nathan? Well, the text doesn't say exactly, but we can infer that it was a message from God assuring that David, that this son, was the promised son. God had placed his steadfast love on this son, and we can infer this by looking at the results of Nathan's message. The text says he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. You know what the name Jedidiah means? It means beloved of the Lord. So David gave him the name, him the name Solomon. Nathan comes and visits, gives him a message. When he leaves, the child's name now is Jedidiah. What was the message? This is the one on whom my steadfast love is placed. Now put yourself in David's shoes for just a moment. He has been caught up in a whirlwind of sinful choices and has experienced the reality of the hurt that his sin has caused. And then right in the middle, I mean right in the middle of this pain, here comes a son from God, the same God whom David has sinned against. And God says, I have set my love upon him. What a blessing. Perhaps you've been walking through a season of repentance from sin in your life. You know God has forgiven you, but you wonder if He'll ever be able to put any blessings into your life. If you'll ever experience the blessings of God in your life again. Friend, there's no doubt in my mind because I believe that God's Word is very clear. God can and will pour out His blessings on you even in the midst of the hurt that your sin has caused. When God forgives, He restores. And when God restores, He leaves the past in the past and is ready to remain the promise-keeping God who loves His children and blesses His children even though they don't deserve it. God did not withhold future blessing from David because of a past sin of which David had repented. And what a blessing this son was. I mean, listen, not only did God love Solomon and make Solomon king and give peace to the kingdom under Solomon's rule and allow Solomon to build a temple, which were all promises that God had made to David that would be fulfilled in his son. Not only did all those promises come true. God's love towards David's son was a foreshadowing of his love toward David and Solomon's descendant of whom God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That beloved son who experienced the hurt of our sin on the cross, who conquered death in his resurrection, and who is the promised forever king on a forever throne. Don't miss the significance, y'all, of verse 24 and 25. In the midst of the hurt of David's sin, God blesses David and Bathsheba with the privilege of being the great, 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 and a lot more greats grandparents of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If we were to flip to Matthew chapter 1, we would find the genealogy of Jesus. And it begins, verse 1, this way, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Adam. But in verse 6, it gets more specific. We find in verse 6 these words, And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of the father of the father of the father of. And it gets down to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Both David and Bathsheba get named in the lineage of Jesus, and it was through their son Solomon, the one whom God loved, that Jesus, the beloved Son of God, was born. Right in the midst of the hurt from sin that they were experiencing, God poured out incredible blessing upon them. Sin is bad. Sin has consequences. Sin brings deep hurt into our lives and the lives of those around us. But please don't think for a second that you can never again experience the blessing of God in your life because of some sin that has taken place in your past. When you repent and God forgives, the reality of hurt that sin sin brings into your life may be real, but that hurt does not and never will cancel out the ability for God to pour His blessings on, out on you going forward in your life. Real hurts caused by sin do not negate future blessings from God. And then the third statement of hope for the future of sinners. This third statement of hope for the future of sinners is this. By God's grace, past moments of sin do not negate future service for God. Past moments of sin do not negate future service for God. This last section of chapter 12, verses 26 through 31, is a passage that's really easy to just read right over and not even see the connection here. It's really easy just to read over as though it's just some historical details that people who like history might like to read, some names and places and events, but there's really no beauty there. There's really nothing to hang on to. I would argue that if we read it just as simply historical details, then we're missing the beauty of God's restoration in David's life. I want you to go back for just a minute to the beginning of chapter 11. Go back for a minute to the beginning of chapter 11. Right before David's sinning with Bathsheba begins, we learn that David was supposed to go out to war. Remember that? Remember David was supposed to be at war. In verse 1 of chapter 11, we see these words. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle... David sent Joab and his servants with him. Now, Joab was the commander of the army right under King David. He sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Pay attention to the details there. Who was Israel going to war against in chapter 11, verse 1, before David sinned? The Ammonites. What particular city were they going to attack? Rabbah. The Ammonites were enemies of God. If you go back to chapter 10, we see David try to show kindness to the Ammonites, but they rejected David's offer of kindness and instead greatly, go back and read the story, greatly, very graphically humiliated David's servants who he had sent to offer kindness to the Ammonites. And so now they stand in a place of God's judgment. They are God's enemies, the Ammonites are. And so the last sentence of verse 1 tells us, though, that David didn't go. Even though he was king, and one of his main responsibilities as king was to lead the troops into battle, and this was the time of the year when the kings go to battle, David didn't go. David was king. He was supposed to be out there at battle. He was supposed to be fighting the Ammonites. He was supposed to be leading the troops in the attack of the city of Rabbah. But he stayed home and he committed adultery and murder instead. God had anointed David as king. And David was supposed to serve God by leading God's people to battle against God's enemy. That was his way of service to God. He was specially chosen for that act of service. 
But in chapter 11, David chooses sin against God over service for God. David chooses sin against God over service for God. Now, if that's me, I'm thinking, well, that's the end of God using me. God might have wanted me to do this for him, but no more. No more life with God. No more blessings from God. And certainly, God doesn't want my service anymore. I'm thinking the last thing God wants, the last person God wants serving him is someone who's failed at serving him. Right? I mean, God might want to do something with me after I've chosen sin over service, but it's definitely not going to be service to him. And even if God does let me serve him, certainly it's not going to be something great. Certainly it's not going to be what he originally wanted me to do. Maybe some menial task that really doesn't amount to much of anything in his kingdom. Now, I may think that, but I would be wrong. Maybe you're thinking that today. You're thinking your past sin will keep you from ever really making a positive impact in God's kingdom in the future. Listen, that's a, that's, a, that's a real response that we have when we are convicted of sin and we feel the guilt and the weight and the shame. Even when we know that God has forgiven us, often we stay trapped in that past sin and it hinders our future service for the Lord. You say, God could never use me. Look at the mess I've made. I'm sure He's permanently demoted me from the privilege of really serving Him and making a difference in His kingdom. Brothers and sisters, if you are thinking that your past sin negates your future service, you are incredibly wrong. Remember the city? What was it? Rabbah. Remember the people? The Ammonites. Remember David's responsibility? Go to battle. Take the city and defeat the Ammonites. Be the victorious king. Now we fast forward to after David's sin. And we pick up in verse 26 of chapter 12. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I fought against Rabbah. Moreover, I have taken the city of waters. Now then gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and be called, it be called by my name. Now the way a lot of us think is, would be at that point, David would say, oh, sorry, I've sinned. Joab, I've, I've sinned. You know I've sinned. I've confessed that to God. And I know he's forgiven me, but you just go ahead and take it. I'm of no more use in God's kingdom. But that's not at all what David does. That's not at all what he says. Look what happens next. David, the sinner. David, the one who chose sin over service, gathered all the people together and he went to Rabbah, the place he was supposed to be before his sin, and he fought against it, and he took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city a very great amount. You read on about the victory. Notice, don't miss the details. Do you see what happened? God allowed David to pick right back up where he had deserted his service to God back in chapter 11, verse 1. David chooses sin over service, but then God restores him back to a place of service. I mean, it's like David had walked four batters in a row. And then God said, David, get back in the game. And David's maybe thinking, okay, let me go sit let me go sit over there on the third base line. I guess I'm the bat boy now, right? And God says, no. Get back on the pitcher's mound. I've forgiven you. And I've restored you. God restored David to a place of service in spite of his past failure to serve. 
church family? How great, how great is the mercy and grace of our God. Now listen carefully to me. We begin to wrap up. Before you can even think about serving the Lord, you've got to have a relationship with the Lord. Before you can even think about having blessing from God in your life, you've got to know the blessing of salvation. Before before you can ever experience ongoing life with God, you have to be given new life from God. And so if you've never repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then that's the first step toward becoming a servant of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. So that, listen, everyone, it doesn't matter what you've done, everyone who goes to Jesus and confesses his or her sin and says, God, save me because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died for my sin, except his sacrifice On my behalf, everyone who does that, God will save. He will give you a free gift of salvation. If that's you today, then I plead with you, please be saved today. You don't have to wait until the sermon is over. You can just stop right now and start talking to the Lord. And confess your sin to Him. Tell Him that you trust in Jesus and His work on the cross for your salvation. Ask Him to come into your life and save you and forgive you. And ask Him to help you live under the Lordship of Christ all the rest of your days. And I promise He will save you. But for those of us who are Christians, listen, we are supposed to be serving the Lord. You are supposed to be living as godly men and godly women, as godly teenagers and godly children. Serving the Lord in whatever role He has for you. And I wonder today if you're letting a past sin or past sins keep you from the service in God's kingdom that He has for you. I just wonder. I just wonder if you bought into the lie of Satan that says you are of no use to God because you have failed God. The lie of the deceiver who says that your past sin negates any future service you would do for God. Listen, that is a lie from hell. When David repented and God forgave, David's past sin was past. And God was ready to use him for his purposes. Sin gave way to service. Sin, by God's grace, gave way to service. And the same is true for you and for me. Church, can we be thankful today? Can our hearts overflow with thankfulness in this moment that God gives sinners a hopeful future? Amen? God gives sinners a hopeful future. Despite our sin, we can have the hope of life with God. We can have the hope of the blessings that come from God. And we can have the hope of service toward our great God. It's not because of us. It's all because of His continued grace in our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing in just a moment. I'm going to stand down front. If today you've trusted in Christ, Savior of your life for the first time, you've, you've repented of your sins, I would, I would love to know that. You come down, you tell me, I'll celebrate with you.
there's something else on your heart that I can pray with you about and do that. But we're fixing to sing an awesome song. I've had this song on my mind for several weeks now. Lori didn't even know that. And it is, it is everything that we have said in this series of looking at sin and God's grace of forgiveness towards us and His continued grace in our lives. And so unless you need to come down and talk with me and pray with me or maybe sit in your seat and pray and talk with the Lord, which is a great thing if that's what God's calling you to do in this moment. But if not, and you're a follower of Christ, I want us to lift our voices we're going to sing all three verses of this song. And you listen, look, pay attention to these words. And let's give praise and honor to the God who pours His grace out in our lives over and over and over and over again, both now and into the future. Father, we give this time to You. Father, would You work in our hearts, help us to be obedient to whatever it is You call us to do, whatever response would be pleasing to You. Help us to make that response. Father, I pray in this moment, Lord, that those of us who are able, who have been saved, who have been rescued, who know the, and have experienced the grace that you give us, have experienced that in our lives, Father, may we lift our voices and sing these truths about you, our refuge, our safe place from sin, from past sin that would haunt our future, our safe place from the consequences of sin and the hurts that pain and hurts and pains that sin brings into our lives. Father, may we rejoice in you, our refuge, as we sing this song. In Jesus' name.